Hello and welcome to this episode of Catholics Read. I'm Luke. And I'm Kiara. And I'm Victoria. And in this episode, we are going to be looking at H.G. Wells's The Time Machine. Um, yeah, it's like... Not to be... H.G. Wells, for the record, H.G. Wells also wrote the book The War of the Worlds, but he is not to be confused with Orson Wells, who turned it into that famous radio play that made everybody think Earth is being attacked by Mars. It Mar- sounds like Mar- Time Machine Shenanigans by H.G. Wells, yeah. going into the future and making a radio play yeah. under his disguise, Orson Wells. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, no, it, that's not the case. H.G. Wells wrote War of the Worlds, and then Orson Wells turned it into a radio play and scared the pants off everybody in the process <laughs> there were many 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 scared people um so but we're, we're not looking at that today we're looking at the time machine uh which is a story about a man who travels into the future the very far future what is it eight hundred and two thousand something something or rather it doesn't really matter it's, it's eight hundred thousand years into the future into the future and yeah, um, what what happens? What happens? He uh, he arrives, he's confused, he discovers these people who are very small uh, and very simple. Um, and very childlike. Very childlike, and but there doesn't seem to be any old people among them. In fact, there are children, but it's like hard to discern who the children are and the adults because they're all childlike. Yes. Um, but he soon also discovers uh, that amongst their... Well, it looks like a very peace-loving. They're not. They don't eat any meat. It's just all veggies everywhere. In fact, there are no animals. Yeah, um, it's a bit weird. Yeah, it's a rather it's idyllic strange. world. All that. It's rather idyllic and carefree and whatever. Except that these little people have a fear of the dark. Yeah, they really hate and, the dark. And a really well-founded fear of the dark because there are these underground creatures called Morlocks who come up and eat them. Yeah. <laughs> <Good> yeah. Summary. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. They. Be, the, there's the Morlocks who. The, the traveller, as he's known, who tells the story, um, and I'm sure Kara will go into this, mm-hmm. um, theorises that perhaps that what it is is that you kind of have a split between, I'm going to avoid Marxist terms here. I'm just going to call them, because he does as well, yes. the labourers and the capitalists, I guess you could say, um, which is that the, the capitalists continued to live above ground but in their sense of security, they slowly grew stupid and defenceless. And the underground people, I guess, evolved, you could say, into um, the Morlocks, um, who are still an industrious creature, but they can't stand the daylight because they spend so much time underground. And they've evolved, I guess, um, into creatures which... Creatures of the night. Creatures of <laughs> the night, I guess you could say. Um, and so they're pale and, like... Light sensitive. Yeah, yes. yeah. They're kind of like those fish right down at the bottom of the ocean. Or the um, fish. Ca- 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 cavefish. Yeah, yeah. And that's basically the future of humanity. Now, um, the time traveller uh, befriends one of the young little girl. She's not, I keep on calling her a little girl, but she's not. She's a woman, uh, but she's childlike. Um, after saving her when she almost drowned in the river and no one seemed to care... Um, and she wasn't strong enough to swim against it, even though it wasn't a very strong current, such as the state of the Eloi. Um, they go off to try and find, or he rather goes off and takes her with him, to try and find a place to 
um, I guess, well, he loses er- eradicate his time machine the fear. at this point. Oh, sorry, that's a really important point. He's <laughs> the, lost the time. The time machine is in far is, is inside a statue that, or the base of a statue of some sort, and he doesn't know how it got there. Yes, turns out we it was presume the by this point that the Morlocks have done it. Um, he goes and finds uh, a museum to which he can kind of stake a um, a restoration of of a lack of fear for for. A, want of a better term there are better terms but i just can't think of them and this all goes awry um he ends up having to run away from the morlocks lights a fire to distract them fire takes over um he's basically getting attacked and the fire takes over and he can manage to escape he loses uh his little uh friend um runs back to the time machine the morlocks have opened up the base of the statue to try and trap him into going into the into the time they don't realize it's a time machine going into the time machine so they can trap him but of course it's a time machine and so he just zips on out of there um travels into the far future sees the death of earth i guess you could say and then travels back to the past or the present or whatever it is to his own time to his own time uh, is, and lives to tell the tale which is 1819 no, 1890s 1890s mm-hmm. yeah um and that's that's the time traveler and then he disappears again. And no one knows. And no one knows. And no one knows. And he's like, "I'll be back. Sense. I'll be back in a jiffy, or I'll be back in half an hour." Yeah, three and years never later. Comes back. Yes, so that's that's the end of the time machine. And, and becomes the, the doctor. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, there's another character actually called the doctor here. So mm. yes, but he's, he's, he's just he's just there to make sure he's like, oh, he knows about this time machine thing. <laughs> Um, Why is there always a police box outside my house? <laughs> it's only when this guy is here. Anyway, um, Doctor Who references aside. Yes. Uh, what are we talking about again? Okay. So we'll probably talk about because this is the thing you were most keen to talk about. I guess. Yeah. The, this uh, is the thing that most annoyed me about this book. And again. Oh, you know it's going to be a good episode when Kara starts with this is the thing that most annoyed me. me. It means there are other things that annoyed you as well, but they're not worth your time. And I should should state that, keep in mind, I don't like first-person narratives. Because I... Really? (laughs) I don't, you know, so... We have precedents for this on this So, just just saying, because you should take my opinion with a grain of salt, because you're perfectly, adequately allowed to disagree with me on the fact that I don't like first-person narratives, as Victoria regularly regularly does. So, I don't like first-person narratives. (laughs) This is a first-person narrative, so it's already irritated me to begin with. It's not just a first-person narrative. It's not just a a first-person narrative of a first-person narrative. Within a first-person narrative. Can anyone here, or, you know, anyone remembering um, Heart of Darkness? Oh, God. It's a little bit like that. Yes, except shorter. Mercifully shorter. No, Heart of Darkness was like... This guy at least doesn't... Okay, he, he goes off to... Which is what Kara's about to talk about. He kind of goes on his little side things. But he doesn't go into this, like, chapter-long trance or something like... Yeah, it's mercifully darkness. short and to the point. So, and this is... A, and But having said that, the other thing that really annoyed me was H.G. Wells was a very political man. He was a member of the Fabian Society, which was a very... Which was a socialist society in the 19, tw- 1910s, 1920s. He then left it because he thought they were too conservative... And George Bernard Shaw whooped his ass in a um, in a battle of wits, so to speak, um, in the 1920s. Um, so that's why he left this in the early. No, sorry, the in 1908. So he left that society and became a political commentator or whatever. Um, so you can very much see his politics come through in this story, which I have got no issue with as a rule because 
fiction is the appropriate place to actually explore political ideas, political ideologies, to have imagination about it, to think, well, okay, so what would it actually look like if this happened in practice? And explore, you know, human interaction with the ideas and all that sort of stuff. No problem with that. When it's woven into the story to the point where I don't have to suspend, you know, I don't have to, it doesn't interrupt the flow of the story. And that's what I found really annoying about his little, um, oh, obviously this is what's happened. All the, you know, this is like communism imperfection or whatever. And, um, you know, and goes on this like five minute rant about how he understands the world as it is and interrupts the entire flow of the story to have this little rant, to have this little like political thing. And then goes off, you know, and then and then the story continues. And I'm sitting, and it just annoyed me because, at the end of the day, when you're writing a story, the flow and this and the the flow of the story and the message should, and it should be seamless. It, it should, should be, be seamless. It should be seamless, and it should be it should make sense. Like I couldn't suspend my I couldn't like suspend my doubt, so to mm. speak, because you know. Mm. Because that's that's the that's the that's the art of an author is that they get their reader or their audience to suspend all everything that they know and just immerse themselves into that story. And when you just suddenly stop to talk about communism halfway, you know, in the middle of something, it just snapped me out of it. Yeah. It snapped me out of that mode of just immersing myself in the story. And suddenly I'm like, oh well, someone's talking at me now about politics. Ugh. Um, <laughs> yeah. See, I think I think that's, that's I think that's probably the point, like where where we. Divert, or, or the explanation for why we diverge on this because I didn't yes. find it that bad. Yes. We were talking about this before and I think perhaps the reason for that is because we might have been reading it differently. Yeah. I won't go into that because that's a bit boring. But um, in the sense that, how do I put it? Um, I didn't find the, um, the, the, side the interruptions, the side yeah. notes because I sort of felt like it was a bit like a, if, if I was to go into the future, you know, projecting my own... Um, thoughts. Oh, I'm sounding a bit postmodern here. Projecting my own um, thoughts on on that society, which I think is a fair is a fair cop. So it didn't annoy me as much, I guess, as a person who's studying um, political science, <laughs> who's like, I just want to get away from that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm like I said, I do not mind it when it's done better than this. This is not a great example of. Um, subtlety and care and... Would you say a better example is perhaps something else we've read during the series, such as Animal Farm? Yes. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. But see, the thing is that though, that's so obvious. Like, it's it, ne- it's it never a... goes, oh, and by the way, we're talking about communism. But it's, but it's... so obvious. Yes, it's an obvious allegory, yeah. but it's still invite... But it's an exploration, and mm. he doesn't frame it as anything else other than an exploration of what a communist okay, society so would like, look like. Okay, so you know what so, you're getting. Okay, I know what I'm... You know, I was reading this story expecting a nice, flo- a nice sci-fi read, and suddenly, communism... <laughs> like next minute, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay, here we go. Um, and like, it actually made me put the book down and pick up the handy little pamphlet that came with my copy and read about H.G. Wells to understand where the heck this was coming. It's from. a very lovely looking pamphlet, actually. Yes. It looks like something from the time. Like, the time, except maybe that photo. That photo is a little bit too high res. But um, <laughs> the and then you look down the bottom, it's like 2011. You're like, oh, that's a bit disappointing, but it's very cool. I like Spill it. a bit of coffee on it. Make it authentic yeah, <laughs> and cool. old. No, it's from it's from the future. Where there's no bacteria. That's, that's in the future. Before any of you spill coffee on my nice pamphlet. <laughs> or like I wave it and crease it and all that kind of crazy yeah. stuff. So, I mean, the fact that 
that little that first side note sort of actually made me physically put the book down and find out what the heck was going on and where this was coming from. Okay, should tell right, you, you know, right, yeah, which yeah. is what irked me because I'm like, I'll get back to the story. Like, I, I don't care what you think. Move on. Yeah. You know, what, what happens next? So, I mean, I found... Yeah, I, I found the story quite quite interesting and I found that, like, the way that he built up his admission of not not knowing this world and finding it a little bit confusing. Now that I am thinking about it, the, the side notes did annoy me a little bit, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. Because um, I'm a bit like, oh, I just want to get back to it. Yeah. Because you know? he'd keep saying, oh, this is what I thought it was, but it turns out I was wrong. It's like, what? yeah, well, what was right? <laughs> um, Maybe if you just stop for a second and put your anthropology hat on and just let the world that you're in speak to you rather than you try to speak to... It's a human tendency, let's face it. And you no, do, it's very true. It's a human tendency, but unless you make a conscious effort to go, no, hang on a second, let's just let things speak for themselves rather than me trying to speak for them because, I mean, for heaven's sake, Marks didn't exist in this world. If those little side notes weren't in there, I would not look at that world as Marxist. I would look at that world as a return to sort of a Stone Age thing where you had a slightly more intelligent species who was slightly more superior to another species and so they preyed like on each other. And, you know... One... Homo sapien versus Neanderthal kind of thing happening. Yes, I although mean... that's a bit of a... I'm just archaeological, historical, and archaeological, archaeological misnomer. But yes, in in the same or in the same way that dogs are slightly smarter than deer, for example. So you you know you have deer who are the prey of wolves, and the wolves are just as smart, just smart enough, smarter than the deer that they catch and eat mm. the deer. That's kind of what's going on here, except that they're humanoid. Yeah, and it's creepy. I mean, I, do, I <laughs> really mean, creepy. I think that there is though, if you also if for you any. Kind of- for everyone, anyone who is wondering, the movie The Time Machine is nothing like the there's book. A movie? Yes, there's Who's a movie. It? it was I an think awful there's multiple movie. Movies. There's multiple movies about it. None of, and as far as I know, the one I've seen was nothing like the book, apart from the huh. fact that there were Eloy and Morlocks. That was it. So yeah, do not use the movies as a reference for no, this story. Read the book. Read the book. <laughs> I think that's a general piece of advice. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think I, I, enjoy, I enjoyed. I enjoyed it. The, the 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 primary problem I guess that I had with it was that it kind of felt like it was building up something that never really came to fruition. Yeah, like it kind of almost seems like, and I guess in that sense it was realistic, but it almost felt like it was building up something bigger than what really happened. And it's possibly my own fault that I kind of knew what the time machine was about before I'd actually read it. And then when I've gone to read it, I'm like, oh, that doesn't actually happen. Like, for some reason, I had it in my head that there was going to be, like, some kind of mad fight scene or something. Like, <laughs> Which there kind of was. Yeah, I mean, but it wasn't where I thought it was. I yes. thought that it was going to be, like, you know... An epic battle for the time to get the time yeah, to Yeah, he's back. just like, no, we need to, we need to like, imagine, imagine me being a Scottish Mel Gibson here. <laughs> saying that we need to fight for our freedom... And, you know, we need to rise up against the Morlocks. So when they come out, you know, it'll be like Home Alone or something. They'll set up all their little tricks. And mm. I didn't actually think that, but that would be kind of cool. Um, <laughs> but none of that actually happened. He just scoots on back to his time machine and heads home. Um, yeah, so it's a little bit of a letdown, the end of the story. Yeah, it's not. It, it kind of feels like it's building up to something bigger bigger than, than it is. It's almost like, oh, this was a nice little story arc that happened. Like a tiny little story arc that happens within the future. And then he returns and it's like, oh, that was nice. You know, I kind of thought he was going to become, as I said, the the Scottish Mel Gibson of of the future. Anyway. All right. 
Freedom! There's no chance that he'd yeah. want to try to sequel or anything because sometimes that's how it is. No, no. definitely not. Oh, I mean, I guess it's I guess it's one of those things. If it was a film, you'd be like, oh yeah, he's going for a sequel here because he disappears in the end, never ah. and he like. It's a know. smart little maneuver as an author because then you can bring this guy back. Like I'm imagining, yeah, oh, I'm back from traveling in time. <laughs> no, no, no. I was, I was, I was. <laughs> you may remember me from such books as <laughs> yes. the Time Machine. <laughs> I'm imagining like the the final the final bit where it's like um, oh we don't know what happened to him to be like the end of um, of oh, what what is it uh, Batman the Dark Knight the Dark Knight Rises oh, yeah. with like the cinematic <laughs> and then like you've got the time like you know the, the narrator is sitting at the cafe in Paris and he looks up and sees the time traveler over there and gives him a wink and then disappears. Into the- <laughs> Anyway, anyway, it's it's probably a lot cooler in my head than it is through the microphone. Yes, but that's okay. <laughs> yes, um, we should actually talk about stuff yes, rather than Luke's silly, silly tangents. Silly tangents. <laughs> um, Although they're far more amusing than all, than um, HG Wells' silly tangents. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right, so yeah. I guess I did have something that I wanted to that I did highlight in here, and I'm not sure if iBooks allows me to. Yes, I'm reading it on iBooks. <gasps> Shock horror! Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Um, yes, I think you can go back to. Can I can I find out where my highlight uh, bits are? You can somehow, but I can't see what I'll you're just, doing on the um, screen there. Just keep scrolling through until I can find. It. Oh, there we go. There we go. Okay. So this sentence here, or this paragraph here, I highlight it, and I can't actually remember why I highlighted it. So I'm hoping that as I read it, I remember. But anyway, <laughs> then I tried to preserve myself from the horror that was coming upon me by regarding it as right, sorry, as rigorous punishment for human selfishness. Man had been content to live in ease and delight upon the labours of his fellow man, had taken necessity, that's necessity with a capital N, that's mad 19th century stuff happening right there, as his watchword and excuse, and in the fullness of time, necessity with a capital N, had come home to him. I even tried a... Carlisle-like scorn of his, sorry, of this wretched aristocracy and decay, but this attitude of mind was impossible. However great their intellectual degradation, the Eloi had kept too much of the human form not to ca- not to claim my sympathy and to make me perforce a sharer in their degradation and their fear. The reason why I mention that is because um, I found it interesting that like he's there almost trying to reason so he's trying to say okay no 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 this is just the way things are you know this is just the world that's around me the Eloi, through generations they'd just become lazy they'd become the lazy capitalists i guess you could say um and gotten into this false sense of security and had made these um these underlings no they're the underlings i don't know the underworld people downtrodden and finally they it's coming back to bite them on the bottom um, but he can't do that because he's just like, yeah, but at the same time, they're still human. And so I find that quite interesting that even at this point where humanity has split in two and that he can reason that, well, this is just the way things are. This is just nature. He still finds it intrinsically wrong that one set of humanity are oppressing, even if it's almost like a revenge or a logical conclusion to the oppression that was the opposite way, um, he still finds it repugnant. Mm. And I find that just an interesting side point to make there. Um, 
but yeah, even and it's, it's kind of hard to see where there's a sharing in the brotherhood of humanity. Yeah, there, even eight hundred thousand years into the future. Yeah, and this is why it like the you know again like my political hat on. I see politics in stories all the time because they are explorations of the ideas and the you know the ideas of the author and. What really confused me more so about this book to the point where I had to kind of put it down and think about it and, you know, understand H.G. Wells a little bit more than, you know, just going from what this story he's written because it's not a very communist world in a sense. Like, you know, yeah, okay, so he doesn't use the word bourgeoisie or proletariat like, you know, most socialists or Marxists would, but it's kind of like the, the bourgeoisie have become the proletariat because they are preyed upon and the more you know and the more and the morlocks don't just take anyone they take the old and the sick or and the ones silly enough to be out and the ones who are silly enough to be out in the dark and so i think there's a lot there's a lot going on there's a lot going on there because i mean the the late 18th the late rather 19th century there is a lot going on and so i think yeah war is just an interesting it would i guess um the time machine does serve as a very good um, cross-section of intellectual thought at the time. Yeah. Um, because and- there's a lot of themes going on. You can see almost like the, the seeds of eugenics in there. You yeah. can see the seeds of socialism, of course. You can see um, that very the scientific march of science kind of idealism uh, in there. Vegetarianism. So the vegetarian, yeah. Vegetarian movement, which was a big thing for George Bernard Shaw. A um, fellow socialist. Yeah, and so it's quite... I think this book does, as a tangent to the tangent, serve a really good cross-section of the 19th century, if you want to, because it's a, it's a primary text. Is that correct, Victoria? It's a primary text, the 19th century. Primary text. If it was written in yes. the okay, 19th thank century, you. yes. I didn't want to do that. Too, <laughs> 18, time, 1895 it was published. Yeah, and so I guess it would make a really good um, good reading for that. But on the point... Um, that I had there, that, that none, nonetheless, you can have this kind of cold calculating, well, this is the way things have to be. This is the reason why it happened. You know, I can see um, that it almost seems like it's just that's what, what's happening now. At the end of the day, the preciousness of each human person, even if human person is possibly not quite the way that you'd put it, still reigns and is still there within the heart of the traveller. Um, as he approaches these these people and this situation, so I find that to be to be an interesting point. Yeah. That, um, for all the all the social theory that you can chuck on top of things and say, well, this is the way things have to be. Morality still pokes its head up and and says, well, is it the says, way well, things should be? Really, is that is that what your basic premise should be? Mm. Um, but yeah. I think perhaps Victoria we should wrap it up a... there. Oh, no, mm. Victoria. No, Victoria. Are we, you, are we wrapping looking... up soon? Um, you, you get the floor. Go for it. Well, I'll get back to talking about the structure at some point, but one thing I wanted to bring up beforehand was, okay, a little bit of confession for the uh, listeners here. I haven't read much of this book. You should have gotten a time uh, the, machine the, um, <laughs> to read the, it and then come the back. The plot summary was more for my advantage than yours, I assure you. Um, so I don't know a lot of what's going on. but So I just want to clarify something. Is so there's a lot of sympathy being shown for the formerly oppressive peoples. Uh, the Aloy. Yeah. I got up to the mic. The Aloy. Yeah. 
That's yes. what's going on. Yes. Definitely, All right. definitely, it seems like the whole time the sympathy is with the Aloy, except, I mean, you can sort of get some sympathy when they're burning in the fire and he's like, oh, they're just... They can't even see anything. So I guess there's sympathy both ways. But, I mean, you spend a lot more time with the Aloy. Mm. Um, and they're just like, like you said, they're just like children. Um, well, like, you know, according to sort of like narrative theory and stuff like that, the characters that you spend the most time with that you understand more are the ones that you're probably meant to empathize with more. So how do we go from this um, idea of looking at everyone as humans and just because some people have oppressed beforehand and are now being oppressed by others... Um, you know, they're still worth with them. How can we go into, you know, a few years, decades into the future where the bourgeoisie were overthrown and killed and people just disregarded their human dignity purely because of the situation they were born into? Do you get what I mean? Are you... Are you, are you- are you attempting to try and look at what H.G. Wells is trying to say? No, 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 or? no. I'm talking about just in, like... So it seems that at this point, people were still, like, looking at power struggles and class stuff, and, but people were still looking at people as humans I'm not, that deserve uh, dignity. Like, for instance, look at the French Revolution. Like, you know, the upper class or the, the, the creme were, mm-hmm. you know, slaughtered at some point purely because they were at that rung of society. Yeah, regardless of whether I don't know or not what... they're actually... I, I can't. I can't really make a comment on it because I don't know at what stage socialism was. You didn't have any socialist states at this point. Oh, uh, yes, you did. You had Russia. This was in eighteen eighteen ninety five. No, you right. No. You didn't. No, you didn't. No, so you didn't. You didn't have. So this any. is on the precipice of some of them forming. Yeah. Well, you've this got. You've, really got the, you've got the First World War in the way. Um, Sorry, you're right. Eighteen ninety five. So, um, yeah. So. Russia, yeah, no. World War World War One was the catalyst for a lot of for the rise of communism. I mean, in it's many still ways, there, because, because there were states only, that collapsed, and so communism stepped in to fill the vacuum. This was written mm. only what tenish years before um, the man who was Thursday. Yeah, and I mean that seems pretty obvious. Like that. Oh, socialism violent... was a, socialism was around. Like communist parties were around, mm. and like, you know, obviously the Fabian Society, which was what um, H. G. Wells was a member of. Um, in the you know in the early twentieth century, so yeah, it's it's around. Like communism is a, it is also a significant sort of minority political force as well that was getting a lot of people quite frightened over what those political parties could do if they ever got into power. Hmm. hmm. I just wanted to ask a few questions. About I'm that. not. All right. See, the the, th- the thing is though is that the whole idea of human dignity like a universal human dignity, I don't think is necessarily one that gets a lot of air at any point in history. Um, That's a fair point. I, I don't think... I think it's 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 a bit of a um, an abnormality that that sits within Christian culture. Not not abnormality in terms of it, it's against Christian culture, but rather that Christianity is one of the few... Um, ideologies or one of the few cultural movements that sees each and every that, individual when it's at human its best. person when it's at its best. I mean, as in yeah. as a ba- as a basic tenant. Yeah. So, like, there's plenty of Christian cultures, and I put that in quotation marks, who would who would disregard that, but they would be disregarding their Christianity in the process. Um, it's it's a hard it's a hard thing to say that kind of that at this point in time when this was written humanity was considered you've got 
you definitely have bits and pieces there. You would have the the anti like anti slavery movement. I mean, at this point, you would probably have um, the. Well, when was slavery abolished? It was not too long before. Depending on where it, where it was, yeah. probably. I mean, you would also have the women's suffrage movement at this point. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but but again, I'm not entirely sure that there's this. I don't know if at any point in history the dominant cultural line of thought is that a person, no matter who they are or what they've done, has inherent dignity for being a person and for no other reason. I'm not sure if that ever at any point in history is actually a dominant cultural thing. That gives us something to work towards then, let's hope. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm a bit of a pessimist, but... But, yeah. yeah, no, okay, you brought good. up a good point there. Just wanted to bring that up because this is, you know, it's not just us talking into a microphone telling you how it is. It's us learning as well. And myself in particular amongst the, the two pillars of knowledge that I'm oh, between up. always need to ask questions and sometimes it's on air. <laughs> um, okay, and something also I want to point out just very briefly because I, only, I really did only read the first couple of chapters. Um, I'm really sorry. <laughs> um, but something that struck me about this was um, how the structure emulated the theme of the book. Not the theme, because at this point I had no idea what the theme was. I thought it was just time travel. Uh-huh. Little side note, when I was trying to find this on Gutenberg, I was typing in the spaceship and wondering why I couldn't find it. <laughs> oh, dear, so close. <laughs> so close, because I had just some vague memory from about about two weeks ago of what we were reading. So the spaceship. in the spaceship. Well, anyway. It's time and space, I suppose. <laughs> anyway, point is, I eventually did find the time machine. And so I, I read work. the first I few... Know how you did that. <laughs> I, I checked um, the group message of oh, okay. what we were reading after a while. Anyway... Um, so what I, what I found really interesting about this, uh, well, within the first few chapters, correct me if I'm wrong, but it potentially happens throughout the rest of the book, but that the, the narrative structure is, or the structure of language is a little bit different to how, to what's quite usual. So for instance, we were taught in school that when people are speaking, you take a new line every time a new person speaks. Am I right? That's what you guys- I never taught that, but that's probably one of the finer points of- Oh, technique really? okay. That, that technique yeah. that I've obviously missed. Australian education, get your act together. That's oh, one well, of maybe I was taught it, but I was too busy playing video games. <laughs> well, that's one of the you know the cruxes of you know when you start. English, I didn't have a good English teacher until year eleven and twelve. Well, so. when when you start learning about writing narratives and stories and stuff like that, that's usually a rule you're told. I don't think it's a hard fast rule. I don't think it should always be enforced, but it's it's a good thing when you get started. Um, but you know, H.G. Wells is a is a very good writer, and he plays around with these things. And so, some point at some points, he does do that. You take a new line every time someone speaks. But at other points, um, other listeners, readers may have picked up on this. He has these big chunks of paragraphs where everyone's speaking at the same time. There are all these different points of view. You, at some points, you're not particularly sure who's speaking. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's really interesting, and it's unusual. I'd like to point out that it is unusual. And the more I thought about it the more I realised that I think he was showing us something about time and, I suppose, the concentration of time. Because at the beginning, in the beginning few chapters, I now realise that the rest of the book is about communism. And, not, and about hang on, elves. Hang on, hang on, I don't know. Hang on, hang on, hang on. <laughs> it's not... If, we, if, we've, if, that, if that is the impression we've left the readers, <laughs> it's not. It's, it's just... It's, it's, it's the thing that stuck out to me in particular. Yeah, Kiara's okay. reading of it. Um, <laughs> that it's a very apparent thing. Yeah. Um, well, we're, we're getting yeah. my you reading can pull of the first. lots of other very perfectly adequate 
Um, and just as large. Uh, well, anyway. Large themes out of it, apart from communism. <laughs> Point is... We just really like talking about communism, I think. We really do, don't we? It comes it's up every once in a while. It is interesting. It's interesting. It has many read, interesting like, facets. Know. Like, for really? instance, I'm not a massive... Like, I don't particularly understand or agree with all aspects of political Marxism, but, for instance, literary Marxism is a fascinating theory, and, you know, readers should look into that as a political side Political Marxism itself is a fascinating thing, because I'm at the end of the day... The question, well, no, but the, question, the questions of Marxism is why are some, why are some people... Why That's are things true. unequal... Is, and what are we going to do about it? What, you know, are, are still really valid questions. Marxism just has demonstrated that when it's applied in, in real life, it doesn't always work mm. for mm. the very reasons that it's fighting against, ironically enough. But anyway, that's a side note. We digress. We digress. Um, anyway, Back my, to the other my, important thing. My, 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 my very small point Marxism. is the fact no, that... Wait, um... <laughs> no, wait. minute Marxism. No, no. My, my very small point is the fact that uh, I'd like you to just... When, when you're reading this, or if you have read it, just look back at the first few chapters and have a look at how he plays with structure and narrative and discourse. So at some points people are speaking and it's points and it's one after the other, so it's a chronological narrative structure. It's very simple. Um, it's what we're taught in school. And in other points, he, you know, the, the narrator, um, who is never identified and has strong communist leanings, um, so there are points where it's quite chronological and there are points and, you know, people are speaking and we know who's speaking and then there are these bits where it's all jumbled up and it's this concentrate of time and space, more, more or less, and bits where the narrator, oh, that's why I was talking about the narrator because he's yeah. just a bit strange, um, <laughs> thinks back and he thinks ahead and he's all over the place and these happen within these concentrate paragraphs and so you can tell, you can see there's... It's almost foreshadowing of the entire plot in the first maybe mm, two chapters, uh, three chapters um, of this play with time and chronology and. Why didn't you say this at the start? Because it's a good thing to wrap up with. Really let's get cool. the let's get the ideology yeah. out of the way, and that, then we can look at the structure um, <laughs> later on. Both are important; just yeah. one has to come before the other. So, you know, we're constrained by time. Yeah, let's finish. So next episode, we're going to be looking at T.S. Eliot's The Wasteland. It's going to be existentialism. It's probably going to be a little, be a little bit downer. We're going to have to come in here with our... We didn't come in all, in all black <laughs> for Poe, but we're going to have to do it for Eliot. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Or at so least grey. The next episode, The Wasteland. Bye. 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 That was an episode of Catholics Read from cradio.org.au. 